So life today is complex. In fact, it's more complex, in my opinion, than it's ever been. Uh, while relatively there's nothing new under the sun, and while that's relatively true, life in today's age and culture is more complex than any other generation, in my opinion, has seen. Um, look at this with me, and just to kind of help you see why I say this. In 2008, according to a study in 2008, the average person consumed approximately 34 gigabytes of information every day. Let me just put this in perspective. 2008, uh, to help you remember this time, was one year after the iPhone was released in America. Average of 34 gigabytes of information. That is translates to approximately 100,000 words, uh, of processing 100,000 words of information, which is the equivalent of reading The Hobbit. Okay? You get it? So, so and, and, and then four years after that, 2011, the, after the smart firm, phone, the phone, <laughs> after the smartphone had permeated our world, um, in million, it's in millions of homes, uh, watch what happened. In 2008, scientists studied the amount of information that entered the brain and found that the average person was consuming up to 74 gigabytes of information a day, doubling the amount of consumption from four years prior. Each day, a doubled amount of information. That is equal to consuming 16 full-length movies. The average mind now is processing that much information Every day, 365 days a year. And in 2011, the Americans, look at this, to put it in a different perspective, took in five times as much information every day as they did in 1986. So if you were alive in 1986 uh, as a, a, a person, an average person in America, you consume five times less data and information than you did. In 2011. Think about this. We are processing five times more every day than the average person did in that decade. And the scientists would project something. It's mind-boggling. In 2011, scientists projected that people will process about 5% more information than the previous year. That equals, so over 12 years, a 5% increase in a yield. That means every year, 5% more of information added to the information that, that you were acquiring every day with the year before. And so over five, 12 years, at a 5% increase each year, that equals 139 gigabytes of information every day that we're processing today. Now, I could not find any studies that in the last couple of years to confirm nor deny these projected increases. However, I can only imagine that they are right on the money. And they're hitting the mark. Think about the, the, due to the emergence of the infinite scroll now on YouTube, the infinite scroll that is on social media, that's in our media platforms and our news feeds and all of those video platforms that we have, the amount of information we have access to and the amount of information we process is mind-blowing. It's literally blowing up our minds. And we wonder why anxiety 
is at an all-time high? In a culture with information so accessible? See, you're processing more information every day, more than the average human has ever processed that information. And what the average person consumes in one day now is likely more information than the average person in the early 1900s consumed in their lifetime. And our kids, our young adults, our parents, all of us are processing more information, especially our children right now. Think about a child's mind. They're processing more information than a child's mind can possibly process. We are overloading their RAM when we give them free reign in a digital device and give them access to all this world of information. So how do we compete with that? How do we manage that? This is the world we live in. We need to realize this is the world we live in with all of this as, 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 that's accessible to us. And the world, this is the world which is conditioning us and it's conditioning our kids. And it's conditioning their minds. And if information is power, who has the power in your life? And if information is power and knowledge is power, who has the power in your child's life? In a world full of information, in a world full of knowledge that at our fingertips, we desperately need something. something. And what we so desperately need more of is what we're going to talk more about today in a moment. My name is Casey, and it's so good to be together with you in the room. And for those of you that are new with us in the room, we are so honored and privileged to be together with you. For everyone that's watching online, we're so grateful to be a part of your day wherever you are and uh, in whatever you're doing. So grateful to share this time. For those of you that are new in the room with us, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. So right after today's service, would you make your way across our lobby into our, uh, into our welcome center? There, a host will be there. And that host would love to give you a gift for being with us today. And uh, in that time that you're together with them, that short time, they would love to share with you four things about who we are as Westside that we think you ought to know about. And, uh, and, and they'll take less than four minutes of your time. For those of you that are no, new with us online, we have a gift for you. And they are posting a link to a Connect card right now. And if you'll just take a moment, click that link, fill it out as you watch this today and join us today. And we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Now, Westside, would you let everyone that's watching online and those that are new in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Yeah. So grateful. So last week we began this series that we've called, we're calling a Daniel generation. And as we look through the book of Daniel, this ancient Hebrew text that is part of our whole Old Testament that we recognize as inspired by God for us. That we, we see the resilient faith of Daniel and his four Hebrew colleagues who were in a culture that was resisting God. Their lives are models for us and they model to us, teaching us what this series big idea is. And here's a series big idea that they model to us and teach us. Live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. Live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. In a culture resisting God. Have a resilient faith in God that stands out. And last week, I asked you two questions. And the first question I asked is, what is your faith worth to you? It's an important question. What is your faith worth to you? And I asked a second question that's just as important as the first. What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? And now in a world of information that is competing for your faith in God, 
How much is your faith worth to you? And in a world of information that is competing for the faith of the next generation and the generation that's in your home, what is their faith worth to you? And we need to recognize that all the information that we process is either going to lead us to God or the information we process will lead us away from God. And it's how we process that information. It's not the information itself. It's actually how we process that information which will lead us to or away from God. And in a culture that is full of knowledge, full of information, and full of misinformation, where not all that information is true, all of that information is competing for your faith in God to lead you to not trust in God. Now, last week we were introduced to these four young Hebrew exiles, captives of Israel in the land of Babylon, living in the superpower of a nation that had overtaken the Israelite people. They were selected, these four men were selected to serve in the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. The king then gives orders to the chief of his court officials to educate and and prepare them for their new jobs. So they're educated in the culture. They're educated in the, in the vast literature of the Babylonian culture. They were ed- educated in that and in, in all of that. And, and an interesting marker of that era and time and history is that the Babylonians in this, uh, this fifth century or the sixth century uh, BC had more information and literature available to them than any other time in any other culture in history at that time. Quite similar to our day that we live in, where we have more information available than any other generation that has ever lived. We don't live in ancient Babylon. However, we live in a digital Babylon that is resisting God, trying to shut God out of life. And while these Hebrews were educated in the customs and literature of Babylon, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah remained unwavering in their faithfulness to God. They modeled what it means to live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. And in verse 17 of this first chapter, we see what these Hebrews had that we need to have more of in a world where information is ample and in a culture that is resisting God. In verse 17, we read, to these young, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So they, they had, they, God gave them all of this learning and understanding and knowledge that was in the culture. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king. The king talked with them and found, and he found none equal. Look at this. None equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. They stood out. That their resilient faith in God stood out in a culture resisting God. Now, did you catch what stood out about them? God gave them knowledge and understanding so that in every matter of wisdom, they were found ten times better. They, they, they were found ten times better in all that they were educated, even though all they, were, they were all educated in the same knowledge and literature in the same way. I believe there's something 
that God's people has as a gift because of our resilient faith in God. And it's what the Daniel generation had, the generation that Daniel and these four Hebrews had. And it's what God gives and gives us access to today. See, a Daniel generation has a wisdom and understanding that stands out. The wisdom we have that is from our understanding of the knowledge that we have acquired makes the church, makes the people of God, make, makes, makes those who have faith in God rise higher, makes, makes us shine brighter and makes us stand taller in a world that's resisting God. We live in a world with unlimited information and unlimited knowledge that is easily accessible through the devices in our purses and in our pockets. And throughout humanity's history, knowledge has been leveraged as power. And in the 580 BC version of Babylon, in that nation, knowledge was abundant and accessible and it was leveraged as power. And while knowledge and power was infinite in, 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 in that day and age to that culture, it also is infinite in our day and age, more so than ever. And while knowledge seems infinite and information is so easily accessible, wisdom is scarce. Wisdom today is scarce. We have people that know a lot but don't have the wisdom to process what they know. They have, they have a lot of knowledge but no understanding of what that knowledge means in this world that we live in. And, and we need to know that knowledge needs wisdom. You need to know that knowledge needs wisdom and understanding. Teenagers and young adults, you need to know. That knowledge is abundant in your world and, and you're going to go to schools and you're going to be informed by all the knowledge that is coming out and it's, it's an unreal, really unreal, the amount of knowledge that is accessible to your generation and even to us as a generation that's ahead of you. But it, it's, while knowledge is abundant in your world, wisdom is scarce in your world. And you need wisdom to process the information that you are consuming you need wisdom to process this world that we are living and how does this fit into the context of what this, what's happening in the world. Parents, the next generation needs you to guide them into having the wisdom and to understand the knowledge they are processing. Knowledge, they, you know what this next generation needs? They don't need parents to give them, to, to point them to new information and be like a, tra like a travel agent in life that says, hey, I need you to go over there to get this information. Here's something else to read. Or the, the, next, the generation behind us, they don't need travel agents. They need travel guides. They need people that can help them. They need teachers. They need, they need leaders. They need, they need mentors. They need spiritual people that are ahead of them, that are fo following Jesus to guide them along in this life and help them process the information that they are consuming. This is where the church can rise higher and stand taller in a world full of information. See, wisdom is what we need, and we need to understand that, that, that knowledge, understanding, and wisdom are three separate things. Understanding is correctly processing knowledge that you've learned. Wisdom is what leads us to apply what we have learned in our understanding. Understanding is knowing the meaning of the information that we have acquired, and wisdom is how we apply what we understand to our lives. Knowledge is the facts and we need the facts. But understanding is 
helps us know what the facts mean. And wisdom is what we do now that we know what it means. And wisdom guides us. It helps us apply what we understand about the knowledge we have acquired. And the next generation does not need the church to give them just information. We need to take their hands. And what they need is someone to guide them into the wisdom to help them process everything that they are accessing, everything that they are consuming. And that gets messy. And that demands more time from you and I. But that's what is needed. And But that also requires something else. That requires that you and I, as a generation preceding them, needs to acquire wisdom. We need wisdom to guide us in understanding what we have been processing and what we have learned, the knowledge that we have acquired. We need wisdom because people are searching for wisdom, but they are looking for it, I believe, in all the wrong places. And if you're here today and you need wisdom, I'm so grateful that we get to share this time together, and I'm so grateful we're here together because I need that wisdom too, more than ever. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to do what Daniel does. And here's a teaching big idea that we're going to see Daniel does and these four Hebrew boys do. This is what you need to do and I need to do. You need to seek God's wisdom for the knowledge you've acquired. You need to seek God's wisdom for the knowledge you have acquired. That's what a Daniel generation does. A Daniel generation seeks God's wisdom for the knowledge that we have had access to and we've acquired and we've been processing And as we continue in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream, a troubling dream that he desperately wants to know the meaning of this dream. So King Nebuchadnezzar turns to his wise counsel in his court that he had set up and he had been training, which included astrologers, magicians, and scientists, all of these different types of people who have been educated, vastly educated. He demands that that they tell him the meaning of, of his dream. They they interpret his dream. However, he did something unexpected. King Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't tell them what the dream was. And so if no one could tell him what the dream was without knowing what, or telling the meaning of the dream without knowing what the dream was, there was an unfortunate consequence. If no one could tell him what the dream was nor the meaning of the dream, all the court officials would be killed, including Daniel and the three Hebrew colleagues of Daniel. The astrologers, the scientists of that day in Babylon did not know what to do, but Daniel knew exactly what to do. See, Daniel knew something that we need to know. Wisdom comes from God. Daniel knew this. Wisdom comes from God. This is a thread that is all throughout Scripture. It's woven all through the Hebrew Scriptures, which is our Old Testament. And this was the culture that, that, that Daniel was raised up in. This was the Scripture that God inspired, that informed Daniel and his, those four Hebrew boys. That God all, was the originator of all wisdom. God is wisdom. And not only is He wisdom, He is the source then of all wisdom. And we will either turn to God and find wisdom and therefore find life, or we will reject God, turn from Him to any other source that we want to see, and we will then reject wisdom and therefore reject life. See, to know God is to know wisdom, and Daniel knew God was the source of all wisdom And read with me what happens in chapter 2, verse 13. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. 
When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom, look at this, with wisdom, with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king offer such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for some time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. You know what he did? He asked his friends to join him in prayer, to pray to God so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Interesting, his prayer just wasn't for him. His prayer was for all of these other people in his, in his, uh, that he served with who were resisting God and their faith was not in the God of the Bible. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, listen into this. Praise be to the name of pra- praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He dis- he deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power, and you have made known to me what we asked of you. I want to say that again because this is so important to today's teaching. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So Daniel goes. He leaves and he goes boldly into the king's court and tells the king that the God of heaven, the God of the Hebrews, the God of his people, God who revealed himself as the creator of all things is the God who interprets dreams and reveals mysteries. And Daniel then describes what the dream was. He interprets it to also the king. And upon interpreting the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar places Daniel in charge of the entire province of Babylon and puts him in charge of all the wise counsel in the king's court. That dream eventually did come true as well. And in that dream, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel interpreted it to King Nebuchadnezzar that King Nebuchadnezzar would die and Babylon would be laid sieged and come under the siege of a greater empire, which is exactly what happened when Persia came and conquered Babylon. So how do we acquire God's wisdom? How do we become this Daniel generation that needs this wisdom? In our digital Babylon that we live, where we have so much information accessible to us, how do we access God's wisdom? Well, first, wisdom originates from the awe, reverence, and fear of God. We must understand where wisdom originates. Wisdom originates from the all reverence and fear of God. Three different words that, that in our English language, we almost need all three of these to understand what the one word in the Hebrew language that we interpret fear of God means. See, we think of fear of God and we think the terror of God. That's part of it, not all of it. 
That's what we lean on most of the time. See, this is the, the fear of God is a thread throughout all the scriptures, and it talks about the fear of the Lord. And to say the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is a way of saying to be in reverence of God, to be in awe of God. The Hebrew scriptures would talk a lot about this. It would be captured in the wisdom of Proverbs. In Proverbs 1 verse 7, it begins in this book of wisdom, literature, that has been quoted throughout all of history to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, look at this, fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, fools despise wisdom, but knowledge begins with the fear of God. Knowing God, knowing His power, knowing His character comes by knowing Him. And to know Him, we have to see the Scripture and, 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 and we got to see the Scripture that reveals God to us all the way up to Jesus who is the full revelation of God to humanity. Jesus is the full revelation of God. This is why the Old Testament is, is important and the New Testament is important because the Old Testament gives us a, 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 a revelation that is then revealed fully in Christ Jesus. So you and I can understand who God is and His awesome power and he, how he demonstrates that. In, verse nine, in chapter 9, verse 10 of Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One, look at this, is understanding. See, do you need wisdom like I do to process and understand all the information in this world? Our first step is to be in awe of God. To revere Him as God. And to, and to live in the fear of God, which is living in the reverent awe of who he is. See, knowledge of God is understanding and living in the reverent awe of God and knowing who he is and what he is capable of. That is the beginning of wisdom. And our culture lacks wisdom because our culture has lost the reverent awe of God. Our culture, even us included at times, we don't live in the fear, which is the reverent awe of God. Our culture has reduced God to be in our image. It reduces God to be made in their image and their, like how they want God to be. And, and they have made God who they want him to be. And anytime, anytime we make God in our image, in our likeness, in our preferences, in church, we need to understand this too. We lose the wonder of his awesome power and his incredible nature. When the church reduces God down to our image and our preferences and our desires, and we put God in our box, the church loses the fear of God and we miss out on God's wisdom. Because wisdom originates from the fear all. And reverence of God. And we must live in this reverent awe of God's unmatched power. And we must trust in His faithful character. C.S. Lewis would capture the fear of God into one of the best English phrases in, in, uh, when he would write about Aslan in, the, 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 in, in his book, in this Narnia series. And he would write about the Lion King. And he would say about the Lion, which reflects God, He isn't safe, but He is good. He isn't safe, but he is good. One of the most beautiful pictures of the God of all things, the God that we were created in the image of him. He is not safe to our sinful humanity, but he is good. 
And when we trust in His character and His goodness, we discover wisdom and we discover life and the wisdom we need for this life. And when we live our lives in the awe and reverence and fear of God's power, we begin to live life with wisdom. See, God's power was revealed in the life of, of Jesus. It was also revealed in the, His suffering. And it was revealed in His death and His resurrection. God's power would be fully revealed. Every, not only God's power would be, be revealed, His incredible character would be revealed. Every attribute, I would argue, I could tell you, you tell me an attribute of God, and I could tell you how it is revealed in the life, death, resurrection. In the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Every character of God is revealed in that. See, and that leads us to what we need to know next. See, wisdom comes from the good news of the cross of Christ. There is a progressive version, and you need to listen to me clearly, okay? Because there's a progressive version of Christianity that empties the power of the cross and reduces what Jesus did by dying on the cross. And we need to be very aware of this. This lie of Christianity says that God is love and then how could a, a, a God who loves show any anger? Why doesn't he just forgive sins and let it be done? What, and this philosophy denies God's wrath, denies God's anger. It rejects that Jesus Christ needed to take the punishment of, from God for our sin by shedding his own blood to be a sacrifice to offer a payment so he could buy us back, redeem us for our sin. That philosophical lie says God can just forgive sins without paying for the sins of humanity against him. And those who believe that lie say it's foolish that God would allow his wrath to be unleashed. That God is not a God of wrath. But you know what? For God to be love, you can't be fully love. And when you see the things and the people that you love the most broken and, and, and hurt by their sin, wouldn't that, you want a God that gets angry at that? Don't you want a God who, who has such a love that when he sees people giving lies that cause you to hurt other people and be selfish against other people, that he would get upset with that? Would you just want a God would just be apathetic toward that? No, we wouldn't want that God. See, to, for a God to be fully loved, he has to be full of wrath. But it's reconciled both in the life of Jesus because he allows Jesus to take on the full wrath of God so that anyone who would look to Jesus, trust him as Savior and follow him as Lord would experience the full nature of the forgiving God. See those, this is what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul would tell the church in Corinth about the wisdom of God being foolishness to a culture and Paul would elevate the wisdom of Jesus and the cross. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians and, and he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. That's the rest of the world who's not Jews by the way. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. See this? This is so remarkable. Paul says Jesus Christ is the power of God and Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things to which they were thinking, what? You're calling me foolish? He goes, yeah, I am. And then he goes, of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus. And look what he says about Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption and we could not be redeemed if it weren't for the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus he goes therefore as it is written let the one who boasts then boast in the Lord the cross of Jesus reveals the wisdom of God it's in the cross that we discover the full love of God in order to understand Jesus in his nature and God in his nature, we must understand the work of Jesus Christ in the full context, including the cross of Christ. And we can't understand our life unless we understand the cross of Jesus. Jesus Christ's suffering and death on the cross propitiated or satisfied God's wrath on all sin for all who would trust in Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord. And we must not remove the cross or reduce the cross in Christianity or we will miss out on the beautiful, so needed, powerful wisdom of God. And we must see the wisdom of the brokenness of Jesus to make sense of the brokenness in our world and how Jesus came into a world and he allowed himself to be broken so this broken world and broken people and like you and me and those in this world that are around you and I that are searching to fix their brokenness can find Jesus. He's the wisdom of God. He's the one who leads us to wisdom and, and that we need in order to process what is happening in the world around us. When you help the next generation process what's happening in the world around us, we can take it through the filter of the cross of Jesus because Jesus came in and all the brokenness around us and he came us to restore the brokenness in this world. See, if we don't process life through the cross of Jesus, we will never see ourselves in light of the work of Jesus on the cross. And we will miss out on the wisdom of God that is life to us. A life that comes when we deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow Jesus. And a world bombarding our generations and you and I with information that leads you and I to live for yourself, do whatever you want for yourself, we must follow the crucified Jesus and deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and follow him. And there's life when we follow him. There's wisdom when we follow him because wisdom comes in taking up our cross and following him so wisdom comes from the all of God comes from the good news of the cross of Jesus and next wisdom comes from God and there is safety in the advice of many Christ followers those in the next generation I just I, everybody just look at the room around you because there are people in a generation ahead of you now, there might be someone here today that you are like the pinnacle of the generations that are represented. Okay, I recognize that. You might not find somebody in the generation ahead of you. But I want you to look around. 
those Christ followers that are around you are a protection to you. I wish I could help you understand this, but you won't understand it until you just try it. See, God's wisdom is revealed through their leadership and their help and advice to help you navigate the world that you're living in. Proverbs 11 says, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. When you surround yourself with God-honoring, Christ-centered community, you're going to be safe to pursue what is wise and live in this life that you're living. Parents, I'm going to be direct with you. This is why you need to be in a group outside of Sunday. This is great. This is needed. But you what you need more important than this is that you are in a community of Christ followers that you can do life with, that you can do, that you can meet with on a regular basis, whether it's once or twice a month that you can gather together and you can ask questions of each other and you can get the wisdom from their life. It needs to be other generations involved in that. Younger generation, you need to be in rooms and environments to where regularly you are influenced by the generation above you. And parents, this is why we want your teenagers in our student ministry because they're going to be in, 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 in an area to where it's not just going to be Caleb and the leader's voice. It's going to be parents like you serving in that area. That's why we need you serving in that area too and your kids in that area. Otherwise, you're going to give them over to other people to find wisdom and there's no life in the wisdom of the world. This is why today groups are going to be available. There's safety to pursue what is wise when you surround yourself with God-fearing, Christ-centered individuals who are following the crucified Jesus. There's wisdom in that. And their advice of how to process what we're going on, what's going on in our world. We need to listen to that. And the last thing is this. Wisdom comes from asking God. Just like Daniel brought in <laughs> those three other Hebrews. And we, when in our community, we can say, I need wisdom and we need to seek God. Will you seek God with me? I need wisdom and I need you to ask with me for wisdom. Because wisdom comes from asking God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would elevate this truth. In his letter that would be circulated around the church in Jerusalem, he would say, if any of you lacks wisdom, which I would raise my hand, I lack wisdom, James. I need it. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Ask God. Just simply ask God. Why? Because he gives generously. Generously. He gives generously without finding fault. He's not going to come to you and accuse you. Why are you coming for me to wisdom? He goes, I'm so glad you're coming to me for wisdom. He's going to give you wisdom without finding fault. And he'll give it to you. We need to pray what Daniel prayed and ask God for wisdom. We need to pray how James, the the half-brother of Jesus, (laughs) who saw a crucified and resurrected Jesus, we need to follow their advice and ask wisdom see to stand out to rise higher to shine brighter this is what the generation needs to have God's wisdom and God freely gives it to us see a Daniel generation seeks God's wisdom and leverages their knowledge to honor God in everything they think in everything they say in everything they do we need to pray like Daniel we need to live like Daniel and we need to pray, be like Jesus in this world and honor God in all things. And that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. So don't miss it. But right now, 
We're going to do exactly that because every one of us needs wisdom. And this is something we do as a church family. So if you're new with us, I encourage you to participate with us. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And we're going to pray. And, and, and all across this room, I want you to find two to three people, a group of people. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to pray for the, the person on the left. Or you're going to pray for the other person. And, and I want you to say this out loud. And if you don't know how to pray, this is a way that you can pray. You can just pray it like this and go to the next person. Father, give my friend the wisdom to honor you in everything he thinks, says, and does. He or she thinks, says, and does. We need to be a people who honors God in everything we think, say, and do. Father, help us honor you in all we do. Will you turn to one another? And would you pray with one another? And then we're going to celebrate in song and in baptism today and all that.